the series we're into, right on the money. I mentioned this last week that money is mentioned 2,000 times in Scripture. So God obviously cares very much about our finances and how we handle our finances. Here's where we're going to go today, uh, because last time we talked about the tithe, which literally means 10%, not 7, not 11, 10% is what the word tithe means. From Malachi, from the Old Testament, God encouraged us to bring our whole tithe, the full 10% into the storehouse so that there would be food in the house. Matthew 23, Jesus said, you should a tithe, not just on the big issues and focused on the big kingdom issues, but you also should have tithed right down to your window ledge spices, the herbs in your kitchen ledge herb garden. You should have tithed even on those. Any increase, you tithe. And not only is it an Old Testament principle or an intertestamental principle as Jesus taught in Matthew 23, but in the New Testament, the tradition carries on as the first day of every week, every Sunday, the followers of Jesus would set aside a sum of money in keeping with their income. That is to say, a percentage. And as we shared these concepts with you last week, we talked about the open heaven, how God promised if we honored him that he would honor us. And I talked briefly with Adam McInnes after the service last Sunday. Adam and I had already had some Facebook conversation. But Adam uh, was going off to school a couple years ago to be a helicopter pilot. Very expensive thing to do. But Adam, in spite of this uh, incredible opportunity you're facing, obviously that costs a lot of money. So tithing for you would be quite a stretch uh, to consider actually giving aside 10% when you're saving every cent you can to learn to become a helicopter pilot. Tell us a little bit about that journey, Adam. So when he says that it's expensive, it cost me about $54,000. And it is a four-month program. So it's not stretched out over four years like most of university degrees. It's all... Right on. I don't... Yeah, you're Gage, you got me? Right on, bro. <laughs> so in case you missed it, it costs about 54 grand and the course is only four months long. So it's not a four-year course that you can stretch your money over. Um, and one of the things that was really important, my wife and I were just freshly married. And um, one of the things that was really important to us was to not go into debt. We had... Uh, Try this one. Try that one. You got me? Oh, there you go. <laughs> so one of the things that was really important to us is to not go into debt. I'm just going to stand away from you. Maybe use your mic. There, Maddie. There you go. Okay, cool. Okay. I'm just going to say it one more time. We didn't want to go into debt. We had gotten out of debt. Before we got married, um, we had maybe a few grand to pay off when we did get married, but it was really important to us to stay out. And um, so that meant that I was not going to be taking out loans for school. I was going to save up. So that meant that we were going to take a couple of years, um, not jump into it right away. So we took two years to, uh, one, do a little bit of research on what the helicopter industry looks like mm -hmm. and if that was something that we wanted to do. And uh, two was to, yeah, save all that money. And so when we started saving, we kind of got on a roll. 
Um, and we had also talked about tithing prior to that as well, and so we were tithing at the time. Um, do you mind if I give them some number figures? So this is a little bit on the personal side, and hopefully my wife doesn't get mad, but um, we, were, we were blessed both with really good jobs, and we were able to save $2,000 a month, which was huge. Um, but that also meant that we were tithing $600 a month, and at the time, I was actually in the middle of a worship session, and I was just sitting there like, okay, so $2,000 a month, we've got 20 months to go, we've got maybe two grand saved right now, so that's $42,000, and I knew I was going to be short. So then I started doing the math again. I was like, okay, well, I tithe $600 a month, that's two, 20 months, that's $12,000, that's $54,000, like right on the money. And so I was like, okay, well, you just stop tithing, and then we'll have the money covered, and I just really felt very specifically God was saying to me, like, yeah, you got the money. You could do it on your own, but I want you to trust me. So can you trust me? And it was just like this oh, kind of moment, like, yeah, okay, I got to trust God. And I know that if I trust God, that money has got to come from somewhere else. And we didn't know where that was. So Jen and I talked about it and said, no, nope, we have to do it. We have to trust God with our finances and with this whole experience in our lives. And so... We did that and kept tithing the same amount and kept saving the same amount, knowing that we were going to be short. And 20 months happened, and September 15th rolled around when I was supposed to start my course, and we had $70,000 in the bank account. Um, we've both, on separate occasions, gone back through our bank records and said, where the heck did that money come from? Because we don't know. And to this day, we don't know. We can't find it. We don't know how it happened. So it's really cool. <laughs> Um, it's probably one of my favorite stories in my life, just God providing. But not only that, God has, through this whole experience, um, taught both Jen and I that it's about trusting him. It's not about trusting us because we can try to trust ourselves, but we can fall short, but God knows way better. So anyways, to add to the blessing that came through that trusting God, um, if anybody knows the helicopter industry, there's no work in Calgary. There's... All the work is out in the bush in northern Alberta, northern BC, some in Ontario. And so I was expecting that I was going to have to move. I was going to have to do a big road trip and try to find a job. It's really hard to find a job when you're a low-hour pilot. And uh, 10 days before I graduated, I got a job in Springbank. So again, just to add to the blessing, God just kept on giving, and it's just so cool. So we're just going to pray with Adam before he goes. You know what? In, in a lot of ancient cultures... Uh, when they would bless people, especially as they were doing something different or going on to something. <laughs> Thanks for that, Adam. <clears throat> they would extend their hands as a sign of peace and blessing. So if you're comfortable with that this morning, would you just extend a hand to Adam? Father, thank you for how you've blessed these guys. Lord, I thank you for the powerful story of trusting you even when there's not enough. Father, I pray that that message would settle into all of our hearts today, that we would trust you even when the math doesn't make sense because you're such a big God, you're even the God of math. And when the numbers don't line up, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And we don't need any cows right now, but we know that that speaks of your incredible provision. We receive it today with thanks. Help us to trust you when our faith is weak. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Adam. Bless you. Thanks for sharing that. Give him a hand. Awesome. So today we're going to jump into talking about generosity. Uh, last week we talked about tithing, and in part two of our giving series, I want to share this verse with you from Proverbs 19.17. It says, caring for the poor is lending to the Lord. Guess what? You'll be well prepared, pre repaid. The Lord is a great banker. If you're going to invest, it's great to invest with him. And he says, as you're generous towards the poor, you'll be well repaid. So we want this, like we want to be generous. We, no, no one prides themselves in being Ebenezer Scrooge. Like none of us look at the Christmas movie and say, ooh, I want to be that guy. The guy that nobody likes. The guy that everybody hates because he's so tight-fisted. We want to be generous, but what's the holdup? Like, like, what's it about? Like, why don't we function in generosity? Well, that's a great question. So today as we talk about being generous, I just want to share these six simple thoughts on generosity. Today they all start with the letter C. So today is brought to you by number six. The letter C. First of all, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the poverty spirit. I, I see a lot of the poverty spirit in the city of Calgary, which is funny because Calgary is one of the most prosperous cities in our nation and in the world. But a poverty spirit isn't the state or condition of not having enough. Rather, it's the fear of not getting more. I see that all over the city of Calgary. Now, especially if you lived here in the 70s and 80s when it was more of a boom and bust economy situation. There's this thinking of, I'm going to set aside more. I'm going to build up a big enough, big enough nest egg so that if something goes wrong, I'm self-reliant. I got this. Which, you know what, accounting-wise, that makes sense, but the root of that, really, is fear, isn't it? It's fear-based. Being self-reliant, like God has blessed me in this time of plenty, but bad times might be coming. And we quickly move into this fear-based thinking of, are you ready for this word? Hoarding. That is the essence of a poverty spirit. I'm afraid blessing might not be coming. And this is the thing, is if we honor God with 10% of our income, He promised He'd throw open the windows of heaven on us and He'd bless us so much, we wouldn't be able to handle it all. And that's not contingent upon how the economy is doing. Seriously. I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds fairy tale, but you just heard the story for Adam saving up money. He knew he had 40,000. If he stopped tithing, he'd have his 54 and somehow ended up with 70. I don't understand how God does what he does, but I want to ask you that question this morning. What would you do if your finances were not based in fear? 
How would you respond differently if you heard of a family in the church that was in need? Yeah, sure, maybe you'd write them a check already, but would you write them a bigger check? If you weren't worried about tomorrow. Like, imagine worst case scenario, you run out of money. Well, you still got your RSPs, you still got your retirement savings or your pension, you're going to be okay, but if the bank balance went down to zero, we might actually have to trust God. How do you think God's going to respond if all along we've been helping people, being generous to people, and not, not just with church people? The book of Galatians makes it clear that we should continue doing good, especially to those that are part of the household of faith. That is, we look after our church family. Say you're out at the restaurant and you get talking to the waitress, single mom, and you hear how tight things are for her. Again, if we weren't living in fear... Maybe we'd bless her. Complete stranger. Now, I, I've been in grocery, grocery lineups and seen people struggling. And, you know, I'm a good Christian guy, right? So I say, it's okay, I'll cover it. You know, it's 10 or 15 bucks or even 20 or 30. And you say, yeah, just go, don't worry about it. I was in the grocery lineup just a few weeks ago. And I don't know how I got the accounts confused, but I was sure everything I needed was in my main checking account. But it was in my secondary checking account. You know, the one you can't access from the debit machine terminal. And I'm standing there, I can't figure it out. Now there's a lineup of like, 12 people at the express lane. I'm thinking, this is not good. And I somehow managed to put everything in that secondary account. So I'm looking it up on my smartphone, and just as I get to the page that says, ooh, nice balance in this account. Oh, nothing in this one. And I'm thinking, oh, i got to transfer this, and I'm getting nervous I break a sweat, my palms are shaking. And the lady behind me says, I'll get it, it's okay. Cool. Like to be a recipient of generosity. Uh, I almost got saved again right at that point. I don't even know if that's theologically possible, but I was just so blessed in that moment by someone who doesn't even know me. And this is the thing, is if we're not living our lives fear-based, we don't hesitate to give money away and help even complete strangers. Hmm. So the condition of being fearless, as opposed to the poverty spirit, makes a big difference. Secondly, I want to look quickly at Habakkuk chapter 3. There's a great couple verses. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, fields produce no food, there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Here it is. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. I think a lot of us, our happiness depends on a strong bank balance. 
But again, scripturally, we need to be cheerful even before the circumstance. This is a huge ground rule for generosity. Whether we have lots or whether we have a little, we're still going to be happy because money can't buy happiness. I mean, it helps. It doesn't hurt to have money. But this is the thing is the confession of Habakkuk is I'm going to be happy no matter what the financial situation is. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to have marshmallows. Like no matter what happens, my joy does not depend on money. Turn to your neighbor and say, my joy does not depend on money. My confession is this, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The third thing I want to point out is from Proverbs 11.25. I love this verse, one of my lifetime favorites. It says, a generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. There's this collective cultivation that happens as you refresh others, as you're generous with others, God is generous with you. Again, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And there's this this kickback. It's not why we give. It's not why we're generous. But when we are, it's truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. And again, when we talk about generosity, he who refreshes others. Can I tell you something? If you need $100, if you're short on your bills and you need $100, If somebody gives you $100, that's not refreshing, that's relieving. If you need $100 and somebody gives you $150 and says, there, now you can pay your bill and go to the movies. Ten times if you come to Canyon Meadows. $5 admission, I mean, can you beat that? I mean, there's people coming from the northeast and the northwest of Calgary to come to movies here in this theater. I've heard of the northeast and northwest of Calgary. I believe it's just above the Arctic Circle. It's a long ways to come, but people come all the way down here just to see it. But there's something profoundly refreshing when your need isn't just met. You go beyond the need. I remember one time in my life, we had this significant need. And it wasn't a personal need. It was just something we wanted to do for God. And a guy that I knew a little bit He came up to me at a meeting and he said, I really enjoyed your ministry. As you were ministering, I felt the Lord say he wanted wanted me to give you a financial gift. Is there a number you have in your heart? And the number I had in my heart was $10,000. So I thought about it. And I thought I should probably say $1,000 then maybe I'll get it, or 500. But something in my heart was like, no, nah, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to say 2,000. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe I'll risk five. And this is all going on in my head, and I thought, I know this guy a bit. Why, why mess around? So I just put it out there, and I said, uh, Steve, 
yeah, actually, I was driving up in the car praying about this situation. We need $10,000. And he's like, whoa. Because I had this thought in my head. I didn't know if it was God. I thought more likely it was Satan telling me to give you money. <laughs> so I prayed and I said, God, how much should I give him? And God said, $10,000. And I thought, again, that must be Satan. So I said, God, if this is really you, he's going to have to confirm that number to me. So I thought, boy, am I ever glad I didn't say 500. <laughs> so I said, yeah, uh, it's, it's 10,000. He's like, that is so cool. And on the spot, he pulls out a checkbook, writes my name. But rather than writing 10,000, he writes $11,200. So now you can tithe on it and be left with 10,000. That came at a very significant time in our lives. Again, he wasn't just generous. He was generous to the point of refreshing. I wasn't left with 9,000 because he gave me 10. He gave me 11,2. Tithe $1,200 and there was still 10,000 in our account to do the thing God had put in our heart. Again, a lot of us think bare minimum when it comes to being generous. I think a lot of times when we think about a food bank, we think, hmm, good chance to unload my kidney beans. <laughs> Seriously, if you've ever worked in a food bank, there are enough kidney beans in, in an average North American church food bank. There are enough kidney beans to feed all of Peru. It's terrible. Like, again, when we're thinking generosity, don't think cheap. Like, don't think, oh, there's a guy that could use some money. Hey, here's $5. Got your back. $5, Canadian Tire money, it's all yours. Like, let's not think kidney bean generosity. And again, please, I don't want any emails about how good kidney beans are. Please, that's not my point. I'm saying when you go to your cupboard because there's an appeal at your local grocery store for the food bank, don't reach for the kidney beans. Like, leave the, leave the canned vegetable and bean part of your pantry alone. Let's be passing on the good stuff. Like, let's give away the cocoa puffs. Count Chocula? Fruit Loops? Like, what are you into? <laughs> like, let's give away the goods. Let's give away, when you, go to your, when you go to your food cupboard to bless others, let's reach for the Lay's potato chips. Because you can't eat just one. Every now and then, just to show my incredible willpower, I'll pull out a bag of Lay's potato chips and eat just one. I mean, I'm, I have such strong willpower, I can do that 20, 25 times a night. <laughs> and every time, I eat just one. That's how I roll. Come on, that's good teaching. Right there, yeah. So, I want to encourage you not to be of the school of the kidney bean. 
but of the school of the Cocoa Puff. Another quick application. We, the last community that I pastored in, we had very few restaurants. We had a Boston pizza, we had a Swiss chalet, we had all the fast food, but every Sunday, half of our congregation, it seemed, would go and pack out the Swiss chalet. And I would often comment to my congregation on generosity. And I'd say to them things like, you know what, if you're going out for lunch, please look after your waiters and waitresses with the spirit of generosity. Because early in my ministry, I worked for, a, um, worked for a gentleman whose ethnicity, uh, like again, I don't want to be stereotypical, but something about his ethnicity made him incredibly cheap. Frugal would be a better word, but just, again, he would even tease himself about this because he didn't pronounce the word frugal. He, of course, pronounced it frugal. <laughs> so this gentleman I worked for, I remember one day I went out to Swiss Chalet with my pastor, and at the end of the meal, he pulls out a loony. Again, there's like four of us eating, and for the four of us, he pays the bill and leaves behind a loony. I just, it just didn't sit well with me. He said, I said, Pastor, a, a loony, like, do you want me to leave the tip? Ah, oh, no, Mark. Loony's plenty. She's probably looking after her, what, six, seven tables? If everybody leaves her five or ten dollars, she'll walk out of here a rich woman. I said, Pastor, like, if she's a single mom and she's working a lunch shift and that's it for the day, she's getting like five bucks an hour. She's getting waitress minimum. This is really her only chance to make money and feed her kid or kids at home. Ah, suit yourself, whatever you want to do. I'm leaving the restaurant now. So as we leave the restaurant, I did the leave behind. Left my keys on the table and said, Ah, oh, pastor, I'm just going to go back and grab my keys. And left a real tip. Because you don't know. You don't know what people are facing. So I'd often tell my congregation, if you do go to Swiss Chalet or whatever restaurant, like if you can't afford to tip, then go to McDonald's. And especially, listen, if you're one of these evangelistic zealots, God bless you if that's the thing on your life you want to share your faith. But if you're going to leave like a, a, a tract, something that shares your story, something that shares the faith, oh my Lord, please don't leave a cheap tip. Well, I'm giving them a greater gift. I'm giving them the gift of eternal life. Yeah, but they're not going to be interested in it if they have to be a cheap goof to be a part of the kingdom. Like, we want to model a spirit of generosity that makes the love that we have in our hearts for them obvious. That is the essence. So, in the last church I pastored in, I would always tell my people, hey, we'll, we'll see you at Swiss. If you're going to be there, make sure you're generous and positive and encouraging. You need Because I had another brother that worked at Swiss Chalet and a cousin. The word on the street was, 
Nobody wanted to work the Sunday lunch shift because that's when the church crowd would come in and that's when the worst tips all week would be on the table. Folks, come on, that's an embarrassment to the faith. We should be the most loving, kind, gentle. Like we should have people clamoring to work the Sunday shift because that's when all the Sun Westers come in. That's when you're going to get, it doesn't matter if the customer service is terrible, you're, the, the waitresses and waiters are going to be loved and cared for and blessed and because they're such a generous people at SunWest. And I know that's who you are. Our last church, the hostess, she commented to me a couple times, hey, you're that pastor from Lake Mount. You know, our staff used to hate working Sunday. And now they love working. They're, that's the first choice of the week. That's the first shift choice. Everybody wants to work the Sunday shift. It used to not be that way. Thank you for, for being so generous with our waiters and waitresses. And it's funny, after a few months, our people were so kind, not just to the staff, but, but to the hostess as well. And it wasn't long until the hostess showed up at our church a few times, gave her life to Jesus, because she was so impacted by the generosity of the people of our church. Hmm. Psalmist said, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in you, O God. The humble will hear about it and be glad. So magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. I'll tell you something. When we're fun functioning in generosity, the humble, they hear about it and they're glad and they come and they participate and they magnify the Lord with us. I believe that generosity is one of the key earmarks of evangelism. And if we're really functioning in pure generosity, People will respond to the kingdom. It'll break hardened ground and cause people to look to the king. Speaking of kings, 1 Kings 8 brings us another beautiful principle. I'll just keep this one short. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, cloud, that is the Shekinah glory cloud of God, filled the temple of the Lord. Imagine this. The priests couldn't perform their duties because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Pastor Matt, can you imagine that? You're trying to work during the week in the office and you can't get any work done because the glory and presence of God is so strong and you're just like, oh, the cloud in my office, I'm trying to fill the holes in the wall. Wow. But I want you to see this other verse. Check this out, five verses before. King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they couldn't be recorded or counted. Wow, what a coincidence. There's this tremendous outpouring that follows their generous offering. And, and throughout First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, there are offerings of a hundred thousand of this or 150,000, 250,000 of that. So like we're talking 
How big would this offering have to be that they couldn't even count it all? So what's my point here? Is, is it, we can bribe God? Like if, if we give a big enough offering, God will really show up and visit us, save people, heal people, restore people. This is what I want you to see. The heart of this thing is love. This is not about works. This is not about, well, if, if I'm more generous with God, he'll be more generous with me. No, it's not just the sowing and reaping. It's not just the mathematical. It's not just the cognitive side of I understand if I give, God will bless or God will visit. No, understand if my heart is I love God so much that my generosity, whether it's in the church, in the offering context, whether it's in the community, whether it's in my workplace, whether it's helping people that are hurting, co-workers that are sick or in hospital, and I'm the only one that showed up from the office, the heart of the thing is love. I love God so much. I, I love his people so much. Uh, there's such generosity pouring out of me. And again, we touched on this last week. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Again, it's not just the intellectual assent to that universal principle. It's I love people so much. I love God so much. I want to be generous. And his response to me is he just wants to love me back. He already loves me with an everlasting love. But some of you who have been parents, you're picking up what I'm laying down. I mean, you love your kids so much, no matter what. But when you see your kids functioning in generosity, something in you says, I even want to lend them the car. <laughs> it's based in love. It's based in the joy of giving. You hear what I'm saying on that? We're almost done. A lot of us have this thinking, someday when I'm rich... I win the lottery, then I'll be generous. Check out the church in Corinth. Now, brothers, I want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most, look at, look at the superlative language, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and, and their extreme poverty, they welled up in rich generosity. I can testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Giving even beyond their ability. What does that mean? I mean, that's sacrifice. That's potentially even debt. Giving out of their reserves. I, I don't know exactly what it means in that context, but, but here's this, this is the commencement of generosity here. The generosity comes even before the ability to give manifests. Even before you have it. I remember 2001, 2002, my wife and I had just left a job. Stepped out in faith. We were ministering all across Canada, preaching, teaching, consulting. They were wonderful days, but not really lucrative and I just met these friends here that are visiting us this morning. From and it's great to have you guys. Thanks for being here. My friend Rod and Sandy, his dear wife, who celebrated their 45th wedding anniversary yesterday, by the way. Good job, guys. 
my friend Rod and Sandy, they were also walking by faith in this season. And between the four of us, we had, I mean, I don't think we could come up with two nickels to rub together. I mean, we were so poor, we couldn't afford to pay attention. I think that's when the ADD really set in in my life. And I remember Rod and Sandy being up here, and, and I just so believe in them and what they're doing. I just wanted so much to bless them. I didn't have anything. And I remember they didn't have anything. And I remember when Rod, on one particular visit, he came to me and he said, I, my wife and I, we just felt we wanted to do this. And they wrote us a check, and I thought, man, these guys have nothing, and they're sewing into us? Like, you you got to be kidding me. And I learned something in those early days. I just met them in the year 2000, and only a year or two after I met them, they started to bless us financially. They had nothing, but they would still give. And they were such a profound example to me of giving with a spirit of sacrifice. I'll tell you something, that's a game changer. When, when somebody who has millions of dollars writes me a check, you know, and when we're in a time of need and says, you know, here's a little something, that's nice. But when people sacrifice significantly, something starts in their life. Something starts in our life. I remember when I was a youth pastor one time, I didn't have enough money to pay the rent. I was $200 short. We spent some time with a young lady from the youth group, young mom, single mom. And she said, hey, what's wrong? You guys seem a little frustrated today, or is there, is there a problem, or am I bothering you? We said, no, no, it's not you, Lily. It's not, you're not the issue at all. She said, what's wrong? Can I pray for you? Well, we just, you know, rent's due today. We don't know where we're going to come up with it. How much are you short? You know, like 200 bucks. And we were tithing. We were honoring God. It's very humbling when a single mom on welfare writes you a check for 200 bucks so you can cover your rent. But can I tell you something? As she started to function in that generosity, things started to turn around significantly in her life, financially, relationship-wise. God blessed her in every area of her life. Not just because of one gift, but because she was embracing a lifestyle. Not waiting to strike it big and then I'll bless others. Man, she started giving even before she had the money. And lastly, a story from Matthew 25. The master said to his servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come, share in your master's happiness. This doesn't just happen once in Matthew 25. He speaks it to his first two servants. He actually has a rebuke for the servant who buries the money and hides it. This is the final point of consistency. If you're faithful in little, you'll be given much. If you're faithful in little, you'll be given much. Not just once, but
But it's an ongoing lifestyle of generosity. When, when you're generous to others and God blesses you back, that's not to say, oh, good, I got something back. I'm putting all this in the bank. I'm not giving a cent to this away. No, it's this perpetuation. It's this consistency of generosity that God is asking us to walk in. At the end of the day, this is the difference, I believe, between success and failure. Is if we hoard the blessing that God gives us, rather than continually sowing it, once again, the question, same as last week, is, Father, I don't trust you, do I? For Adam, as he shared his story this morning, his wife and him could very easily have said, no, we're, we, we have the provision. We're making six grand a month rather than saving two grand a month for helicopter school. Let's stop tithing, save 2,600. We'll have exactly enough in 20 months. So that's the question in that moment. Am I going to trust God or not? Do I actually believe I can do more with 90% of my finances, giving 10% to God, than I believe I can accomplish with 100% of money, my budget, my money, but be doing it on my own? Do I trust God to move away from this place of selfishness and self-dependence and self-reliance can I make the transition over to here to say, no, God, you get 10%. I mentioned a man to you last week that had been giving away 90, or he had been giving away 10% of his income and living off 90, and then God spoke to him as he went into retirement at age 43 to turn around his life and start living off 10% of his income and giving God 90 chatted with a man who had the same story this week, who is now giving 100% of his income to God. Can I tell you something? He's living well. I mean, that dude is blessed. And I'm not asking you to give away 100% of your income. Well, not today. But here's the question, like, do I trust God or not? I mean, if this dude can pull off a season where he's living off 10% and giving God 90, can I live off the rest of my life living off 90% of my income and trusting God with the 10? And I know for many of you that have been living this way, that have been consistently tithing, there are stories all across this room of the faithfulness of God finding stuff on sale, finding great bargains, finding stuff for cheap or for free, finding the provision of God in the most amazing ways. I want to challenge you this morning again. Because the Bible talks so much about money. Please understand, I'm not talking about money because we need your money. We are blessed. This church is blessed. This community is blessed. The city is ridiculously blessed. So this is not an ask for your money. My heart for you as one of the pastors here at SunWest is I want you 
to be walking in the fullness of the blessing that God has for you. Again, he said in Malachi 3.10, test me in this and see if I won't blow open the windows of heaven and bless you so much, you're not going to have room for all of it. He promised he'd make it rain. He promised regardless of the economy, he would keep you safe. He would bless you. I'm not saying you're going to be rich, but I am saying you're going to prosper even as your soul prospers. I invite the worship team to come. I'm going to ask you as they're playing, as we're worshiping, if you just take a couple minutes to just think and pray about your financial situation. If you're walking in generosity, if you're tithing and giving in offerings, and just lay it before the Lord. I'll come back and close in a couple minutes. Thanks, guys. Just want to declare these verses over you today. Lynn's read this earlier. The Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. And with a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. So today I'm just making declaration over lack, over stinginess, over mean-spiritedness, over a poverty spirit that would try to ravage this faith community in the south part of Calgary and our city, our province, our nation. And I say to those principalities, the Lord rebuke you. Because SunWest is a community of generosity. I bless you and I honor you for your consistent giving, not just here in this house, but to your neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers. When nobody cared enough to give, you did. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So my decree over you today is that you are an army of kindness, goodness, of love, patience, and generosity. You are a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people that God owns. And I bless you for it. If you're here today and you need prayer, our ministry team is up here to the right. More will come shortly. But if you need prayer for anything before you go, we would just be delighted to pray with you. Just now as I was praying during the worship time, I sense there's, I sense there's somebody here going through just like a, uh, like a life moment in your business. Things have been so difficult, you feel like you're just going to explode because of the the conflict, the tension. I'd encourage you as others come for prayer this morning, if you would join with them and just come and ask for prayer, we'd be delighted uh, to pray with you. And also somebody that's been struggling with migraine headaches. Someone else has been having an inner ear problem on your right ear. I believe the Lord wants to touch you today before you go home. Whatever your need is, we'd be delighted to pray. But before you go, I just declare over you, the blessing of our Heavenly Father who loves you so much that He gave His best 
gift. He gave family. He gave his boy, his only son, to reach you. That he was the first fruits. In this culture of generosity, he was the first. Even when we were living a long ways off, even when we were his enemies, he sent his son to die in our place so we wouldn't have to. And from the heart of the Father who gives lavish generosity, and from the heart of the Son who responds with the same giving to the increase of the Holy Spirit on all of you, I decree his blessing and peace be on you. In Christ's name, with thanksgiving. Amen.